Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. Welcome back to Hope Through Hard Stuff. This is a special episode for two reasons. The first, this is our 100th episode of the podcast, and it's kind of a milestone. It's fun for us to mark together. And the second is that we have a recurring favorite guest of ours, Becky Attard, and her husband, Fred, who are going to be joining us for the conversation today. Fred and Becky, thanks so much for making time. Oh my gosh, so excited to be back. Yes, thanks, Steve. No, it's great to have you both. <laughs> Becky, for people who are new to your story, can you give us the 45-second thumbnail sketch of the journey that you and Fred have been on over the last couple of years? So June of 2020 was diagnosed with breast cancer. And at that point, it was like stage one, baby stage two, August 12th, double mastectomy, went into four rounds of chemotherapy in the fall of 2020, then moved into 28 sessions of radiation, then had two breast reconstruction surgeries. Um, and that took us to the fall of 2021. And we thought we were done. Fast forward a couple months, spring of 2022 was having neck pain, back pain, and ended up in the ER. In the ER, they did CT scan, two-hour MRI, and we came home from the ER on August 26th of 2022, had a broken neck, and pe- and everyone always says, they're like, wait a minute, how did that happen? And the cancer was in my bones, and cancer in your bones is like termites in wood. And so it was in my bones, and it basically exploded my C2 vertebrae. So it cracked my C1 vertebrae, my C2 vertebrae was like decimated, T10 was fractured, L1 was fractured, L4 was fractured, my pelvis was fractured, and my femur was on the verge of collapse. But we didn't actually know about my femur until a little bit later. I was just limping and like didn't know why. So we came home from the ER, had a broken neck, stage four cancer. The cancer was everywhere. And they gave me funeral planning papers. And the funny thing is, is I did a podcast, another podcast about a month ago, and the girl was like, oh my gosh, when I sent her my notes, she was like, okay, they practically like gave you funeral planning papers. I was like, no, 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 no. They actually handed them to me. Like I had the sheet of paper. So, so we had that. And then from the ER, we called it the 30 days of darkness from the ER to the cervical fusion, which happened on September 30th. And I had a hellacious neck surgery, but it saved me from being paralyzed, which that's a miracle in itself. And then after the cervical fusion, we went into 18 rounds of chemo. And in the midst of the 18 rounds, I had to do five high-dose hip and femur radiations. And we ended up finishing up the 18 rounds. And my last round of chemotherapy was April 3rd. I had a scan on April 5th. And then April 7th, we went in for our final results. And it was Good Friday, April 7th, Good Friday. And I remember like dropping to my knees and I was a a train wreck on that day. I was like shaking and I grabbed my Sarah Young devotional and I talked about this on our last podcast is I remember like asking God. And sometimes I think you're, at least I am afraid to ask God for something because sometimes I'm afraid like he won't show up. And I remember like asking God, like, please, please give me a verse here that that kind of like gives me comfort, right? And I opened up my Sarah Young devotional on April 7th. The verse of the day was Romans 12, 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. 
And that verse had been my theme song <laughs> since day one. And that was just the biggest like breath of fresh air that I could have ever had on that day. And so we went in April 7th, the oncologist, and he walked in and he said, he had this huge smile on his face and he said, your blood markers, your tumor markers and your scans are better than we had anticipated. And we took a breath and that was in April. And so it's been a few months, what, seven months, eight months since treatment ended and I'm recovering well. Um, and I'm in something called maintenance treatment. And I, it's funny because people always say like, how are you doing? How are you feeling or whatever? And I'm doing well, like I'm, I'm, I'm recovering, but it's going to take time, you know, looking back, like in, in even preparing for this podcast, like I, I did it a lot. Um, have you ever gone through like a, like a little bit of a traumatic like day or emergency and you don't really process what's happening until later on? And I think I've really started to like process what really happened. Um, but I can honestly tell you my cervical fusion was September 30th of 2022. And I had to start 18 rounds of chemotherapy a month later. And at that point, four weeks after the fusion, I mean, I was still at the point where going to the bathroom and taking a shower was very difficult. Like I couldn't stand in my kitchen for five minutes and make my kids mac and cheese. And I had to start 18 rounds of chemotherapy. And I remember it was like round two or round three. And they started with a heavy dose of chemo. And I sat in the chair and I looked at Fred. And I said, you know, because he was there every time. Well, not every time. Like there was a couple times when Lizbeth was there. And I looked at him and I said, it's very clear to me how people can let go of the rope during all of this um, when they don't have the love and support that they need. And I like I, I truly believe from the bottom of my heart that behind every cancer patient that makes it through, there's someone behind the scenes that's holding it all together and moving life in the right direction and keeping the cancer patient from just letting go. Um, because, and what people need to understand is, is like when you're being like pounded with surgeries and you're being pounded with chemo, like you're not of sound mind, if you will, you're not like firing on all cylinders, if that makes sense. You know, mm -hmm. you're like, you're like barely functioning, decimated, can like barely, you know, you're like, you're not really like living your best life, if you will. <laughs> and that was Fred for me, you know, Fred really people have asked me, they're like, who was your person through all this? And I was like, Fred, <laughs> you know, he really got me through truly. Fred, let me and ask you, when, when Becky references those 30 days of darkness, what, what kind of headspace were you in when all of that was unfolding? Uh -huh. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> See, it, that, it was such a great area for us that First off, it's it's the it's the dis it, not only disbelief it's the it's the trying to understand is this really happening and trying to process everything and then trying to and then trying to process okay this is happening but what about the rest of our life like we you know there was a point in time where I was like oh my gosh we have kids we got to take care of our kids you know what I mean like sure. the focus was so much on her and you know what's going to happen next or what may happen or what may not happen that it was such a great area for us like we talk about it that. We really don't, I, not to say I don't, I, I don't remember much of it because I think I was in such a tizzy of 
you know, how are we going to plan the next month, the next week, the next day? So, yep. Brad, what do you what do you say to families? Particularly, again, we're talking specifically about breast cancer, and we all we all know one, two, nine people who have been afflicted by this horrible disease. Fred, what do you say to other husbands or dads who are just starting a, a journey of standing with a, a wife, a spouse who just got a diagnosis? Like, what what word of of encouragement or challenge do you have for them? when they're just feeling overwhelmed, maybe they're in that kind of just solely running on adrenaline having a hard time putting one foot in front of the other. What, what advice do you have for those guys today? I, I think the first one is breathe. Uh, Cause that was one thing that we, I didn't do for a long time. It was, you know, trying to run on, run on adrenaline. Um, so I would say breathe and just and not, not take it in, but um, you know, understand where you're at. And, and one thing that, um, that helped me was to kind of seek out some other men that had been in that situation before. And I think for, for husbands or guys in the situation, like it's kind of a, it's kind of a hidden, it's kind of a hidden thing. Like I didn't know that there were so many men that I knew or husbands that I knew that had gone through this and until they started reaching out to me because it wasn't a public thing for them. You know what I mean? Right. And I don't want to say yeah. we swallow our pride we, we, you know, I, I, I can say that we, you know, we do swallow our pride. We try to take things on our shoulders the whole time and it's okay to ask for help. It's okay for, um, you know, someone to take, it was okay for someone to take Becky to therapy where I thought I was the one that had to do it because that was my role and that was my responsibility. So I would say the first thing is really just breathe, uh, and then, you know, seek out help if, if, if it's available or it, it's always available. It's just a matter of where. Fred, who were some of those guys who reached out to you? And and when they did, what did they say? So it was funny because there was a, uh, a guy that I went to high school with. He was a year older than me. And during Becky's double mastectomy, you know, I was at the hospital by myself. It was, you know, in the, it was a, what, seven hour surgery or something like that. And all of a sudden I get a message, a, a, um, a social media message from this gentleman that was in, uh, he's in North Carolina now. Uh, Jay. And he reached out and said, Hey, listen, man, my wife went through the same surgery, you know, and he, he just, he started a conversation and probably for two hours of that surgery, we were going back and forth. And I was like, Oh my gosh, he's probably working. I'll probably take his time. But that was such a sense of relief for me during that time. Cause it was, and this was back in the first round wave of COVID and wave of COVID. It was a wave of COVID and Jay was just, you know, words of encouragement you know, giving me next steps, what he did. And it was just a relief because I, at that point I had nobody, like I was holding everything in. I had a couple people that had a significant go through cancer um, that had reached out, but it wasn't like a, a, he was the first kind of husband of a breast cancer um, survivor that had, uh, that he had reached out. So I was super thankful for that. So good. What, I think that every couple obviously process these things on their own. And I, I know you guys are, are people of strong faith and that was a key component of you being able to go through this. Fred, how did, how did your faith develop in its own way? Like how, how was your journey similar to or distinct from Becky's as she was trying to figure it out? Um, I would say, obviously we've had, um, you know, if our faith is strong, but it, I've never been tested and I think this was the first time that I've been tested on my faith of, okay, is God really going to be there for us? Is he, you know what I mean? Like, and I think that the first time that I was really tested. So 
the thing that I've always struggled with was, you know, how you always talk about winks from God and, and recognizing God's presence and, and knowing that he's there. And, you know, somebody, I heard someone say the only way you can hear God is if you're actually talking to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it was, the, it was during this time where Becky was kind of getting these little winks from God with, you know, her other podcasts talk about the little things that when God shows up. And I think that was one thing that kind of opened my eyes more, um, during this process was understanding that he is there and that he is wholesome and that he is, you know, with us, if that makes sense. No, it, that makes a hundred percent sense. Becky, how would you say that like your ability for you and Fred to connect about emotional or spiritual things evolved or, or changed or shifted over the course of your journey this last two years? I mean, obviously we've had faith our entire life, but we've like, like Fred said, being tested, like, We've never been at a point where we had nothing but God. Hmm. And even though there was so many times when we were like desperate, there's something very special about everything in your life being like not stripped away from you, but literally having like, it didn't really matter how good my brain surgeon was. It didn't really matter how on point my oncologist was. We knew that it was going to take a miracle to be where I am today, you know, and being at that point in, 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 in looking back to, there was like a fork in the road of, you know, when I came home from the ER and we knew like, okay, this potentially could be my last Christmas. I mean, we knew that into the hardest part of the whole thing. I feel like, was stepping out on faith and standing against all of that. Mm -hmm. And instead of saying, okay, we're going to accept this and, you know, um, this could be the end to step out on faith and say, okay, no, God, it's going to be me and Fred and you, and we're going to rely on you every step of the way, if that makes sense, you know, Um, because, you know, we had that choice and we chose to say, no, we're going to walk in faith and we're going to rely on God and we're going to trust um, that he's going to pull through and be faithful. Fred, it's one thing for you to walk through this journey as a husband. It was another thing to do it as a dad. How did you, how did you be honest with your kids uh, to an extent that was appropriate and helpful to them? And then how did you seek to maybe, I don't want to say shield, but how did you protect them from things that they might not be able to fully process or or uncertainties that they wouldn't be able to handle given just wh- where they are in their development? How how did you walk that journey? Uh, <laughs> that's a yeah, that's a whole other area to this. But uh, I think the biggest thing that we did with the kids or I did with the kids is uh, Becky had two major surgeries, right? She had the mastectomy the first time, and then she had the uh, the neck fusion the second time. So we kind of use the surgeries as, you know, mom had a surgery, she's getting better. We, you know, with our six-year-old, she doesn't understand cancer. My 11-year-old does. So, you know, we use the the surgery as, you know, she had to have this done and now she's healing. She's in the process. You know, we prayed for her. You know, we, we helped, everything we did was to help mom get through the surgery and to get through the healing process. Uh, but my 11-year-old knew more about um, cancer because he had heard about it. So we, it, I think it gave us a chance to have deeper conversations with him and to let him know that, you know, even though the surgery is here, you know, God's helping her get through this. Um, 
and we kind of use the surgery as more of a uh, a way through that a stepping okay. like a stepping stone i remember one quick story about each of them is when this started gianna was only two because it was it was the spring of 2020 and at that point i the tumor like popped out of my chest and you could like feel, feel it you could see it and she sat on my lap and she was feeling the tumor and she goes, mommy, she's like, is your boo-boo still there? We called it mommy's boo-boo. And she was, she was feeling it. And I said, no, no, no. I said, it's still there. I said, but don't worry. I said, I'm having <clears throat> surgery on August 12th. I said, and the doctor's going to take care of it. And she looked up at me and she was too Steve. And she said, mommy, don't you mean that Jesus is going to take care of it? And I looked up at Fred and I said, Fred, I said, my sister must have said that to her. <laughs> and I called my sister up and I said, I told her the story. I said, Beth, I said, did you tell this to Gianna? Because my sister's with my kids a lot. I was like, oh, my sister told her that. And my sister said, no, Becky. She goes, I've never said that to Gianna. She said that on her own. Um, and then there was another, it was right before the surgery. And Marco at that time was seven. And he said... And I was like, Marco, don't worry. I said, everything's going to be fine. And he's like, but mom, what if this cancer spreads and makes you weak and, and, and kills you? Or, you know, what if it spreads and makes you weak? And I was like, oh, he does understand this a little bit more than we were giving him credit for. <laughs> so we just, we had to like, um, we had to, we had to take it as it one day at a time with our kids, if that makes sense, because we didn't want to give them too much information because Steve, to be honest with you, we didn't know that information, much information. Mm -hmm. We were just taking it one day at a time. And as it came, and then when they asked questions, we would just answer their questions. But again, like I said, there were times when they kind of were picking up on more than we were giving them credit for. Wow. And how did you see, how did you see them change over these, over the course of the journey? Like how did, how did they grow? How did they develop a ability to navigate uncertainty or worry or anxiety as they watch you go through this? Fred, go ahead. Um, I, I think Marco took more responsibility. Yeah. As a, yeah. As a nine, eight, nine, 10 year old, 11 year old. Like I, 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 I think I, I, I want to say think, but I, he took more responsibility knowing that, you know, my, he saw my, he saw Becky on the couch a lot resting or in bed resting. And I think he started to, I don't want to say mature a little bit more, but he started to take care of himself a little bit more, started to take care of his, his sister a little bit more. Yeah. Um, Becky, I don't, I, I don't know about Gianna. I mean, she's been a wild, <laughs> she's, you know what I mean? Through the whole thing, but she's a, she, she's a, she's the free spirit and the wild one of the yes. family. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. That's awesome. Every family needs one for sure. Oh man. So what is the, what is the maintenance mode been like? So you said that you had, you know, great, great news back in April. What, what has been the, the follow-up like what's, and what's the prognosis going forward? So, um, I get tumor markers once a month and okay. they, they take, they, so for everyone listening, there's certain everyone has a certain level of cancer in their body and everyone hates when I say that. <laughs> so if, if, Steve, or if Fred were to get his blood taken and they would run tests that would show a certain level of, of cancer in, 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 in your body, but there's a, um, 
there's a safe zone and there's a not safe zone, if you will. So they take my blood every month and make sure that I'm in the safe zone, which both of mine are, both my markers are. And then I get scanned every three months. And then I'm basically in, on hormone blockers and they give me a shot, and, which is basically puts me in medical menopause, if you will. And I'm in a very, very tight leash. Um, but I did say to my oncologist a little while ago, I said, you know, I said, Dr. Margolis, I said, I'm, I'm starting to live life like a normal human again and not obsessing about this every single day. And he looked, I said, I said, I will never miss an appointment. I will never miss a scan ever. I said, but I'm starting to live normally again, somewhat, somewhat. And he looked at me and he smiled and he said, easier said than done. He goes, and I'll see you next month. So, and, and, and again, like I said, people are always asking, how are you doing? How are you feeling? And, and, and that's my answer. Like I'm starting to function like a normal human being again, but it takes time. You said you go back for scans every three months. So how many rounds yes. have you had since the, since your April appointment? How many scans? Yeah. Um, well, we had a couple extra ones in there, um, okay. but I've had what babe four scans and I have one coming up next week, I think. I think so. Um, yeah. And they always, they always look for new growth. They always look for, you know, all that stuff. And, and every scan so far has been great. And given, um, given all that you have been through, does it ever get like nerve wracking or triggering to go, to go back there to do it again? Or are you just kind of into a rhythm now where it's the, your new normal? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm on a very, very tight leash. Um, I mean, even though I'm still starting to function like a normal human, I mean, I'm still on a tight leash and no, I mean, I have my scan and I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be like a little bit of a wreck, but obviously you just have to put one foot in front of the other. Um, you know, because obviously you go back to the, what ifs, what if, what if, you know, and, but you can't, I, I've, you know, I'm starting to like not focus on the, what ifs, like I'm learning that that's just a very dangerous place to be. So we just put one foot in front of the other and do what we need to do and take it as it comes. Fred and Becky, you've both talked about how other people have been really gracious to share their stories with you. Now you're having an opportunity to share your stories with others. In what ways have you seen God use your story to be a gift to other people who were scared or stuck? Uh, go ahead, babe. No, you go ahead. Well, two, two things is... Like I constantly, I, I was just at a football game two weeks ago and I ran into um, a teacher at the school and she's like a, a, a sister of a friend of ours. And she said, have you heard about my brother? And I said, yes, I have. And she was just telling me a little bit. And, and I told her my story and I said, you know, it, it, I told him what I just talked about. Like, it's so difficult when you're in a space of desperation to stand against that, to turn away from it and just to look at God and say, no, we're going to trust in you and we're going to have faith in this. And so we just talked for a while. And before she left, she goes, you know, she goes, I didn't, she goes, I didn't want to come to this game. She goes, I just came because it was a playoff game. She goes, but I knew, but now I know why I came. She goes, because I, I needed to talk to you because she said, I, I'm, I'm scared. And I don't, you know, this is obviously a terrible thing that's happening with my brother. She said, but thank you for for telling me a little bit of your story. And I said, you're welcome. And she left. So um, that's the first thing. And then the second thing is, is I, uh, 
I am writing a book right now. And I just feel like cancer can be very lonely. You know, even though I told Fred, I said the other day, I said, I probably had one of the worst cancer journeys I've ever heard of. Like who has a broken neck? Like really? Like I actually laugh about it sometimes. But I, I told Fred, I said, I probably had the best support out of, see the support that I had, the meal train, the people coming over to clean my house. The, I mean, I could go on and on and on, but I am writing a book because I feel like when you can relate with other people and say, yes, I've been where you're at. I, I felt what you're feeling. There's so much comfort in that, you know, and it, you were desperate. What did you do to, you know, make it through? And so I feel like, and I talked about it on another podcast, like you never, I always thought that you were in control of your life and you, you know, you were responsible for everything in your life. And, and that's just not true. Like, I feel like as Christians, we say like, okay, God send me, you know, there's the song, there's songs about like, send me and I surrender to you. And, you know, you're in control of my life. But like, when that really happens, when God takes your life and gives you an assignment and is like, no, this is what you're going to do. It's like, wow right? Okay. So, the, so my new life is, you know, encouraging other people and, and encouraging other can cancer patients. So it's wild. Steve, I, I think, oh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say that I, as far as, you know, how has it helped others? Like I have not had anyone, any husbands or men reach out to me yet. Like, uh, like th that happened to me. Right. So to, to let me know that, hey, my wife is going through this or my significant, someone's going through this, they know. Because, you know, again, we kind of tuck those feelings deep down in our belly and, 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 and not bring them out until they're absolutely needed. But one of the things I can say that I've seen is ever since Becky was diagnosed the first time, there have probably been, I'm going to guess, 10 plus women that have reached out to her. Yeah. And just, list, just listening to Becky talk to these women about, kind of next steps and what to do, not giving any medical advice, just saying, Hey, this is what I did. This is what you need to do next. This is what you need to kind of focus on. I, I, I've heard the anxiety level of the people on the other side of the phone drop because she's talked to them and she's gone through them. And, yeah. and one thing that I've done is just in my everyday out and about, you know, people ask questions. I, 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 I'm at the point where I, I bring it up not to say poor us have pity on us, but I've had other people say, oh my gosh, my friend is going through this. And it's, you know, making that one connection, even if it's just a phone call to Becky to say, hey, you know, what do I do next? I think that's kind of a role that we've kind of stepped into now to kind of help others. Yeah, that's so, so good. Well, we're recording this in November and uh, a lot of people are getting ready for Thanksgiving. When you guys think about gratitude, how how is your understanding of God's goodness or God's faithfulness or the things that you have to be grateful for evolved or shifted since this whole thing started? I think when you think of thanks Thanksgiving and, and that, like we never really are thankful. For, I don't say we, we never, but we never focus on just being thankful that we're alive, right? Just the yeah. fact that we're living and breathing and that we're here and you know, that every single moment of our day is a, is an opportunity to, to just thank God that we're here and, and we're alive. And I think this journey has kind of opened our eyes to say, Hey, listen, we, you know, life is fragile. Life is precious. And, uh, you know, and be grateful for every moment that we have. What about you, Becky? I, I think with marriage, 
I always tell people like, you know, when you get married, a lot of times you're very young. A lot of times you're young and you don't really know what you're signing up for. <laughs> I kind of, you know what I mean? Like I remember I was 23 and you know, you, you're like on the altar and you say these vows, like for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, for sickness and in health. And, and I want to tell married people like, be grateful for your spouse if you're married, number one, and know what you're signing up for, you know? And it's it's one thing like saying those vows, but when you have to live it, you know, and you have to walk through that, the whether it be, you know, better for worse, you know, in sickness and in health for richer for poor, like being grateful that you're like, wow, like we said these vows, but we actually had to live them. You know, um, and I said it in the beginning, you know, I, I Fred was the person that that got me through. Um, and, and just little things, too. Like, I know when when things happen in life, things can be taken away from you. Like I had somebody say to me the other day, they're like, when are you going to start teaching barbell strength again? And I was like, well, you know, I'll, I'll never, ever put a heavy bar on my back again. You know, and so there are things that are taken away from me because of this and because of my fusion. Like, the, and it's funny too, Steve, is everyone always talks about the cancer, the cancer, the cancer, the cancer. And and even my doctors, they're like, yeah, they're like, the cancer was one thing, but they're like, your broken neck was really the big problem. Like that was really, like, it's a miracle I'm not paralyzed. So there's things that have been taken away from me. You know, Steve, I mean, I could go on and on, but like, I'll never put a have a bar on my back ever again. It's it's too risky, but I need to not focus on that. And I think a lot of times in our society, people focus on like what they don't have, right? Like, or I lost this, or I don't have that instead of, hey, guess what? I'm still alive. You know what I mean? And I still can do a lot, but even though I can't do certain things anymore, if that makes sense. And was there a grieving process that you had to go through? Because again, you, you guys, you guys are active. Like we met in the whole fitness arena or was there, was there a season or a part where you're just like, that's really frustrating. Like, I'm really sad that that's not going to be on going to get to be something I get to do ever again. Yeah. Fred, do you want to talk about that? Well, it's really more for you. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. You know, and I feel like that's funny you say that, Steve, because I feel like now that a little bit of time has passed, like you have to remember, like during the seasons of the surgeries and the heavy chemo, I mean, you're not, you're not thinking about like, oh my gosh, I'm so upset right now that I can't fly to Hawaii and have a vacation. I'm so upset right now that I, I can't train for a marathon right now. Like you, those things don't even enter your brain because you're literally just trying to live minute to minute. But right. now that some time has passed and we've processed, I've processed a lot of what has happened. Um, I feel like the grieving is a little bit more right now because yeah. I'm starting to live like a normal human and I'm realizing, wow, I can't do that anymore. Right. I can't you know, jump rope or jump or whatever, but there, there's still a lot that I can do, you know, and I just have to focus on those things. Right. Right. 
Fred, what was it like for you? Because I, I I can resonate with what Becky is saying that like when you go through like a trauma, like if you go through a car accident, uh, a lot of times, you know, somebody will ask you, are you OK? And you're like, yeah, I think I'm fine just because you've got so much cortisol running through your system, and so much adrenaline. And then the next day you're like, oh, I'm 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 not fine. You know, like there's there's some parts that are really sore when you ran through like, you know, 24 months of adrenaline. Was there a season where you're just like, oh, shoot, Uh you know, my, my body is catching up with me or my, maybe my, uh, my emotional tank has been completely depleted or mentally I'm feeling tired. Was there ever a moment for you when you got through like those 30 days of darkness and you got on the other side of the surgery or you got on the other side of the April scan where you're like, wow, we've been, we've been through a lot and I've got some, you know, maybe some re replenishing or, or re-energizing that needs to happen in my own life for me to get back to whole. Uh, yeah, I would say, um, <laughs> There was a lot of times, but there, you know, I, I treat it like, you know, being in the fitness industry for so many years, playing sports, whatever, you know, understanding where we're at, setting a goal and working towards it and kind of having that, yeah. kind of having that single mindedness, that focus. And I think yeah. like the first round, it was, I don't want to say it was less intense for me. The second round was, it was major. Like yeah. when we found out what the diagnosis was, that put me in a super hyper-focused mode. But yeah, there was, I mean, there were plenty of times where after the 30 days of darkness, it was like, okay, now let's, let's settle in and let's start the process. But there was, I think it was probably until January, February time of last year, when we kind of turned the corner, started to see the light a little bit. Like there was a time, Steve, where, you know, when you, when you caregive or when you, you know, when you caring for someone like my schedule was not a priority. I was, my schedule was pretty much last on the list. So as far as like, I, I didn't work out during that time. I felt terrible. I was trying to get through, you know, we're, we're eating food that was a blessing that people were bringing it over, but it wasn't our normal eating. So like everything was shifted. Yeah. But when we started to turn that corner and see that light and, you know, that January, February time when she was kind of getting close to ending her treatment numbers were coming down Right. And it was kind of like a breath of fresh air to say, okay, now let's kind of refocus on getting back to living normal. Yeah. And yeah, there I, were, oh, I, was just, I was just gonna say, and there were many nights where it was, you know, everyone's in bed. I'm trying to wrap everything up for the night. And it was just like, had to take a couple of deep breaths to say, okay, let's just get through tomorrow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. right. it, it was, um, it was a blessing just to be able to get through that day. Yeah. And, and I, I love the fact that you had grace to do that. And I think that one of the, when you talk about fitness, one of the what great lessons that I had to learn the hard way is like, there's no, there's no growth in fitness, whether it's muscular or cardio without rest and recovery. And I think that a lot of times yes. when, we, when we're in crisis mode, we're like, Hey, I gotta, I gotta jump from this set to this set, to this set, to this set. And again, you could, you could do that for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. You can't do that for a decade. Like we're just, no. we're just, we're just not wired psychologically, no. emotionally, physically, spiritually to be, to be foot on gas indefinitely. And for you to be able to say, okay, um, yeah, there was a time where I couldn't prioritize my sleep or my eating or my fitness the way that I wanted to, but I knew that that was for a season. And then when I had opportunity said, okay, now it's time for me to get back on track because I can't be fully present for others. If I'm running on fumes, is that, is that fair? That's oh, exactly, yeah, exactly fair. And Steve, I know we're kind of coming to a close here, but I just wanted to talk about two more things is one of the things, because and people talk about that. They're like, what did Fred do for you? And, you know, whatever. And and I, I remember 
just a quick story. When we came home from the ER on the August 26th, that night, Gianna was crying for me in the middle of the night. And Saturday and Sunday, and I've talked about this before, they, those were two days. Those were, it was a nightmare. And I remember I was having a freak out. And I told Fred, I said, I said, you know, I said, if I'm not here, <laughs> I said, who's going to take care of her? And, you know, when she's crying and I was losing it and he leaned forward and he said, he goes, I was like, Fred, I said, because when you're, when you're five years old, I said, sometimes you just want your mom. And he, he leaned forward and he goes, baby, he goes, I will take care of them. You know that I will. And I was like, I know that. And he said, baby he goes, stop. He goes, you have one more day of this. Cause I was, Steve, I was like at the point where. Like, hey, we need to put her in a padded room by herself. You know what I mean? Like, I was losing it. And he goes, you have one more day of this, which was Sunday. And he goes, the battle begins on Monday. Because we had already had our appointment scheduled with, with our radiologist. So we knew where we were starting on Monday. And Fred always had a way, because I told you, like, when you're being decimated by treatment and surgeries, you're, like, not of sound mind, right? And Fred always had a way of when I was losing my mind, of like stopping me in my tracks, right? And you always talk about not falling into despair. Like there were times when I was like jumping off a bridge, like falling into despair and he was like pulling me back. Like, no, like he would stop my thought process. If I was like rambling on in fear, he would like stop um, when I was like losing it with, you know, that during the 30 days of darkness or having like a complete mental freak out or breakdown, he would be like, okay, babe, the next step is this, or, Hey, stop what you're doing right now. Stop talking and focus on this or that or the other. There was always that replacement of the fear and the worry and the anxiety with a positive. And I attribute that, like that was a huge thing that got me through for sure. That's great. Becky, any other any other thoughts or ideas or encouragements you have for other people who are walking this path these days? Freddie, you want to take that one? You take that one first. I'm thinking. Okay. So just last thing is um, I, I feel like in our in life, maybe it's right now, I feel like the world is falling apart. <laughs> you know, and I feel like I, I have a heart for families. You know, because I feel like our, keeping families together is like the most important thing in our society. It's like the building block of our society and our country. And I feel like there's so many things that can rip families apart. Whether, I mean, I mean, the truth is I was at my plastic surgeon's office the other day and one of the nurses said to me, because I was telling her just about how Fred really just got me through it. She just said, she said, Becky, she goes, you have no idea how blessed you are and how grateful you should be. She said, because you have no idea the divorce rate of breast cancer patients. And I said, really? And she said, oh, yeah. And I actually personally know people who got diagnosed with breast cancer and their husband split. Like, it's 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 a thing. And, and I remember being in the ER and I had to stay there by myself. And so it was like, no joke, like midnight, 1230. And Fred and I had had been there since like noon and we hadn't eaten. I had nothing like I, I didn't know where I was going to stay. 
And I remember we just, we were both in complete shock, like, like literally just staring at one another going, what in the world is going on? And he held my hand. And before he left for the night, he said, baby goes, we're going to do whatever it takes. And I remember saying, I remember just looking at him and we were so, I was so scared and I had no idea like what was going to come over the next, you know, six months plus. But I remember telling him, I said, I, I promise you, like, we, I promise you, Fred, I will do whatever it takes. And I feel like in our society today, a lot of people bail on things. And I feel like marriage is hard. Kids are hard. You know, maybe you have an addiction problem or whatever. And it, to overcome these major things that people have to deal with, I feel like you have to commit to doing whatever it takes because cancer is relentless and I was prepared. I was like, I am going to come at this with everything I have. And we did, we committed to that, to doing whatever it takes and whether it's saving your marriage, overcoming an addiction, dealing with something with your child, a struggle in your finances or business, you have to be willing to do whatever it takes because sometimes it is going to take whatever it takes to win. Okay, so, I'm done now. I, I should have went first because now mine's going to sound really weak compared to what she said. But um, <laughs> I, I think the same thing is just, you know, put the blinders on and go. Yes. Uh, yeah. There's it, it, When you're in a situation like this, it's, you know, that fight or flight kicks in, but it, it, staying stagnant does nothing. And and whining and complaining does nothing. It's, you know, yes. it's trusting God and move forward, put your blinders on and move forward lock hands and lock hands with your, you and your significant and God, the three of you and, and move forward and go from there. It's awesome. Such, such great words to end on Fred Becky. Thank you so much, not just for telling your story, but for living it. It's an honor to have you on the show and I uh, can't wait to catch up with you guys uh, in real time before too long. Thanks, Thanks Steve. Steve.